CPA and CFP Don Cash has made it his life's work to help people like you plan their finances and achieve their retirement goals. It's time for your money and your life. Hey everybody, welcome into the podcast. It's Your Money and Your Life with Don Cash, CPA and CFP at Donald W. Cash and Associates. Thanks for hanging out with us as we talk investing, finance, and retirement. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on whatever favorite platform you like to use for your podcasting needs, Apple, Google, Spotify, iHeart, Stitcher, all that fun stuff. You can find it all at doncashpodcast.com. That's doncashpodcast.com. And we got a good show lined up this week. We're going to talk a little bit about inflation, infrastructure, and Medicare increases for 2022. So welcome to the show, Don, my friend. What's going on? We are uh, we're right here at Thanksgiving, buddy. This is our pre-Thanksgiving episode. How are you? I'm doing well. Hard to believe, right? I Thanksgiving, know. we're talking about the year just flew by. Oh, my goodness. 2020 was like the longest year ever, and 2021 <laughs> zinged by. And we remember uh, January 1st, 2021, we're thinking, oh, goodbye to 2020. Oh, 2021's yeah, going to be COVID-free yeah, and fun. You know. Not so much, but uh, you got you got any plans? You got any holiday plans? Yeah, we do. We're spending um, Thanksgiving at our house with family. That's our tradition. And um, wishing everyone out there a healthy, happy holiday season. Happy Thanksgiving. And... Um, Mark, it's interesting. Both this year, both Christmas and Thanksgiving are on the twenty fifth of the month, so it's easy to remember. Yeah, very true. I'm I'm always one of those ones that I feel like Thanksgiving always fell on the same day. I guess it doesn't, but it just kind of feels like it, right? You always you always think it's the twenty fourth or whatever. I know it's always Thursday, right? But just always the the date moves, and I always wind up forgetting that. Because Christmas yeah. falls on the 25th, and so I just kind of assume <laughs> that Thanksgiving was always on the 24th. Uh, but yeah, it's pretty cool that they they go together this year. And as I mentioned to kick things off, Don, there's a lot going on in the world, so I suppose we should probably get into it because there's a lot to cover. Talking about inflation, infrastructure, Medicare updates, proposed tax changes. It seems like, obviously, inflation is really heating up. I just got a uh, selfie picture today from a friend of mine who uh, in California is $7 for gas. No, really? Yeah. Yeah. He took it at the pump and sent me this and you won't believe this. So, you know, we've discussed, you and I have talked about real estate prices and, and now it just seems, you know, it's affecting every aspect of the economy and most recently even in Medicare premiums for next year. Yeah. Well, $7, that blows me away, Mark. Yeah, we're right? talking, we're, we are, it's like about three fifty a gallon and everyone's in shock mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> from that. Yeah, I was I was blown away. I said that's crazy. So, yeah, it's double double what it is here. But for sure, in the inflation rate in October was just announced a few weeks ago hit mm -hmm. six point two percent. Yep, and that's the highest rate in thirty years, uh, going back to around nineteen ninety one, nineteen ninety two. And we discussed on the last show that Social Security checks are going up five point nine percent next year, yep. starting in January. That's the highest amount in 40 years. So that's a pretty good increase, Mark. So if someone has a $2,000 a month Social Security check, uh, that goes up to $2,120. So it's a, it's a pretty good increase. It definitely uh, shows the inflation though, right? I mean, they're if they're doing something that big, they kind of, you know, it's kind of a, like a unofficial admit, <laughs> admitting it <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Then we get that letter saying that Social Security Trust Fund is not going to be depleted in the year 2034, but 2032 or something like that, right? right? Yeah. So mm -hmm. that's the other end of the uh, spectrum. But we also got the news that Medicare Part B premiums 
are going up from $148 a month to $170 a month. There goes your 6%. Well, that's a 15% increase. It's one of the largest, actually, in the history of Medicare, which goes back to 1965. Um, So that'll certainly offset some of that increase in the Social Security income, right? So, you know, what Uncle Sam giveth, he He partly (laughs) taketh away. Very true, very true. You know, and on your last show with Ray Martin, you talked a lot about Medicare and mentioned that clients would be getting their premium letters for 2022 very soon, along with any Medicare surcharges that they may need to pay if their income is above a certain level. Have those surcharge levels been announced yet? Yeah, it's interesting. The surcharge levels themselves have just been announced a couple of days ago. Okay. But as of this recording of the show, uh, people have not yet gotten their Medicare premium letters for the year 2022. So that's on the way. But yeah, that's the way that that Medicare works is that people get information on this Medicare rate, the premium, Mm -hmm. Part B premium, around this time of year usually. It's usually the beginning of November, but everything is delayed this year. Right, yeah. Um, But they go by the last year that you filed your taxes to determine what your premium is, right? So for the year 2022, your last filed tax return now was the year 2020. So if you're what they call your modified adjusted gross income, Mark, they always have these crazy terms, mm-hmm. right? It's not just your income. That's right. It's your modified adjusted gross income. Your, your if Maggie. that's above <laughs> yeah, your Maggie. If that's above ninety-one thousand dollars if you're single and hundred and eighty-one thousand if you're married, filing joint, you don't pay the hundred and seventy dollars per month, but you pay two hundred and thirty-eight dollars per month. Yeah. And what's tricky about that is if you're just $1 over that income limit, you'll need to pay the surcharge. So it's, oh. it's, a, <laughs> yep, it's a cliff. It's not a gradually graded increase. You, know, you hit that number, boom, you're paying the, whether you're a dollar over or if you're $50,000 over, you're paying that surcharge. So there are five surcharge categories, Mark. They go all the way up to $578 per month per person. Ouch. And that does not include your Medicare supplement and drug plan. So, you know, it's it's not unusual for a couple, married couple, when it, you add up the, the drug plans and the supplement, mm-hmm, right. if they're at the higher income levels, to be paying $1,300, $1,400, maybe even $1,500 a month. Yeah. In uh in Medicare surcharges part B supplement and drug plans. That's hefty. Definitely gets very hefty and wild. I mean, so they go by 2020 tax year for 2022? Like what if you retired or got laid off or something due to COVID? Yeah, that's a great question by the way and it comes up frequently. In that case, let's say for example, uh this year that was the case mark you retired or got laid off mm-hmm. uh due to COVID or had to stop working because you will. In that case, you can file an appeal to have your surcharge reduced or eliminated. So there are what they call eight life-changing event categories Uh, uh, when it comes to this appeal that you can check off on the appeal form. And one of them is work stoppage like retirement. And currently, my firm, we're putting a company on retainer for our clients that will actually file out 
uh, fill out and file their form. So it's sort of like a, a Medicare appeal form concierge service. Nice. Um, yeah, and we've had success with, with these appeals in the years where if someone files the appeal, they do it properly, they can get a, um, a reduction of their premium. So it works out nicely. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I'll, I'll bet a lot of folks don't even realize they can make an appeal on those Medicare surcharges. So uh, that can potentially save a person, I'm assuming, you know, hundreds or maybe even thousands of dollars per year, right? So that's always good. Uh, so let's let's talk about our, our next piece here, the infrastructure bill, which was passed. Uh, I love how they say, well, it's passed and this is the dollar amount, like $1.2 trillion, But, it, you know, when we get finished, it could go up a little bit, <laughs> which just seems weird that they say they, oh, we passed it, but it could still go up. So how does this affect your clients and, and what do you see uh, to the inflation that we were just talking about? Yeah, good question, Mark. And it's funny they throw on these terms like trillion, like the the uh, the values. Like, yeah. It's, How many times like did you say trillion prior to the la- you know the last year and a half? Really, I don't think I used the word trillion uh, before two years ago. Yeah, uh, and very, so willy nilly too. Trillion here, <laughs> trillion, trillion there. Yeah, trillion. The old saying, the old saying in in politics used to be a, a billion here, a billion there, and pretty soon you're talking about real money. Right. Yeah. <laughs> But now it's, uh, I guess we're replacing billion with trillion. So I guess, Mark, the real question that people are asking themselves with this infrastructure bill is what is in there? Sure. What is in this darn thing? What impact will that have on themselves? What impact is that going to have in, uh, on inflation? Right. Um, so just unraveling this uh, a little bit, the law provides funding for transportation. Okay. That's things like roads and bridges, airports. Uh, Ports, ports of entry, and hopefully, you know, it'll help clear up this uh, backlog of uh, the supply chain in Los Angeles that we're going through yeah, right maybe. now. Right? Rail, tunnels, electric vehicles, things like that. And other part of the bill is for things like increasing broadband coverage around the country and clean water and upgrading the power grid. I mean, remember what we went through in in Texas, right, in in February with the power grid. So, Do you know that there's still actually power, some power infrastructure in place from when Edison was alive? Is that true? Yeah, yeah. There's still some things in places that have been around for about 70 years, 80 years. Well, I'll tell you one interesting thing about that is that the first Edison power plant was built on Wall Street. Oh, well, yeah. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, because Thomas Edison was from New Jersey here. Sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he had a factory here in New Jersey, and uh, they they wanted electricity in lower Manhattan. So, I mean, we definitely need to do some infrastructure upgrade, but it does make people concerned, you know, about where we're getting this money from and what we're doing with it. Absolutely. And interestingly enough, about $300 billion, Mark, of Mm -hmm. this price tag is paid for by, get this, unused COVID relief and unemployment money. Interesting. I wonder if that's where the it doesn't cost its free fun comes from. <laughs> the comic it comes could from. be. I'm, I'm uh, part of it anyway. I mean, I just wonder how much of it actually is going to go to infrastructure though. Like, because inflation, obviously, again, it's just raging. I mean, like we're we're talking about this as our pre-Thanksgiving show here. I mean, food prices are way up, you know, getting your turkeys way up. I mean, all this kind yeah. of stuff. And so it seems to be raging in so many goods and services. Will all this money just make it worse? 
it remains to be seen, right? I mean, no one knows for sure. And you know, I think a lot of people have this on their mind with the holidays coming up. You're talking about turkeys and, you know, and people are thinking about gifts. And my kids were saying yesterday, are we going to get the same Christmas tree we've gotten every year? I mean, they're talking about we can't get the good Christmas trees, <laughs> right? Last year, we actually had a heck of a time finding a Christmas tree. Mm-hmm. Uh, at one of the local lots. But, you know, it remains to be seen as to exactly how this is going to work its way into the economy with inflation. Right now, the main problem driving the inflation are really the supply and demand problems. There's a shortage of workers due to a lot of factors, right? An aging workforce, uh, COVID fears, uh, vaccine requirements, uh, a shortage of goods due to the supply chain backlogs we talked about in California. The ports in California seem to be a big reason. Uh, Ironically, when you have uh, construction, though, on ports and tunnels and airports, it creates even more backlogs. Exactly. Right? I mean, so there's construction at Newark Airport currently, and we're traveling this weekend uh, and have to get to the airport. I just got an alert. There's going to be a major delays at TSA due to construction at the airport, <laughs> as well as labor shortages. Big shock, right? I mean, anytime, I mean, just our society's period, right? When some, when there's a, a reason to grab an excuse, and, you know, we can do that, right? Oh, well, there's there's construction, so everything is going to be triple delayed or whatever. So, yeah, you always got to plan for those things ahead of time. At least, they, at least they sent you the message. But in the past, Don, we've talked about how investors try to I don't know, read the tea leaves, roll the bones, whatever you want to go with when it comes to inflation and try to figure out, okay, how do I stay ahead of this? You know, what do I need to get into? What stock or asset? And this year, that asset uh, or the asset that's gone way up in value, obviously, was real estate, maybe perhaps, you know, fueled by some of that supply chain stuff. But houses have just been crazy. You and I have talked about that quite a bit. Many people have speculated that a lot of that was due to COVID and people wanting uh, more space. But it seems like just about all real estate prices across the board have shot up, even condos, small condos, all the way up to large homes. So from an investment standpoint, how is real estate now and going forward still you know, good time to buy, sell? What you seeing? Yeah, it's interesting that um, people look at real estate and they kind of lump it into like you know one category, right? And not all real estate's going way up in value. I mean, consider all those empty office complexes and shopping malls over the past 18 months. I mean, a lot of those values have really plummeted. I know when I drive to my office and there's tons of parking spaces available and uh, you just know the people who own those buildings are kind of sweating it out because yeah. a lot of tenants have figured out, hey, you know what, maybe uh, we can get our workers stay uh, working at home a little bit longer. We don't need as many workers, right? right yeah. So right now, uh, residential real estate, as you mentioned, is red hot. I mean, I look at my own neighborhood and the prices have gone up 30% mm-hmm. and maybe more in the past year. It tends to make us fall prey to uh, recency bias, right? We talked about that in one of the prior shows, and that prices will just keep on going up and keep on rising. I'm sure you're seeing the same thing in your area. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. 
uh, the RTP, the Research Triangle Park area, is just totally on fire here in NC. So it's, uh, yeah, and, and, and that, you know, puts you in an interesting pickle because, you know, my good friend of mine I've mentioned before was he's very intrigued by the whole thing. He sold, he sold his house. He's like, I'm going to get way more for it than it would normally be worth. And so I was like, yeah, but you're also going to pay more for the next one. So uh, him and his wife, they're retired, so they're doing the camper thing for a while until prices come back down. So, you know, he took his, he's just, you know, traveling around the country seeing stuff. And I was like, okay, as long as you got a plan and yeah, a strategy. Well, Yep, no. it's a bold move it that is. most people yeah. will not make for sure. No, but exactly. That's what I told him. Kudos, hats off. But yeah, it's it's a bold. I I couldn't do it. No, I, I think that you know ninety nine point nine percent of the public would wouldn't make that move. Yeah. But you know, historically, Mark, residential real estate really has not been a great investment. Hmm, okay. it, it tends to rise in value and like in rapid bursts. In the short run, it's it's all about timing, like what your friend's doing, right? It's, right. It's you know, it's much like the stock market. You really don't want to be doing that kind of timing. But uh, you know, I think of myself. I bought my home, what the home, the first, second home, uh, my first home I bought many years ago. But the home I have now, I bought exactly twenty years ago. And at that time, the the market, the housing market, was very much like it is now. It, it was red hot, hard to find homes. There were bidding wars, and we probably did buy at the peak back then. However, from the year 2001 until last year, the value went up about, I would say, 30% in 19 years. <laughs> it went up 30 in yeah. just last year, yeah. Yeah, it went up another 30% in a year, and maybe yeah. more, right? So you know, by comparison, if you're looking at this strictly from an investment standpoint, by comparison, let's say a $500,000 home, in 2001, which was worth about $700,000, okay. right, in, in 2019. But a $500,000 investment in a balanced portfolio returning 6% would be worth over $1.6 million hmm, yeah. in 2019. Yeah. So, yeah, and we do tend to think about our home being our largest investment, and, and it's definitely our largest price tag a lot of times. But to your point of, of uh, we often kind of put it in that category of, of it being a great investment because we think, hey, real estate, real estate, right? They're not making any more of it, that kind of thing. But so it's easy to certainly do. What else? What else have we got going on? Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's a good observation. When you break down the gain though over 20 years, it comes to like about three and a half percent a year, right? So for, for you know, the until house, like right? a, yeah. over over 20 years for the increase in the value of the home. Until last year I mentioned it was, you know, it was you had thirty percent over nineteen years. So it was like maybe two percent per year. It just went up. Yeah, so the six percent in the market's a little bit better, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, three, three times better, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, and it seems like home prices were much more affordable for young people in the past, right? Oh yeah. Like we think of like our parents' generation, uh, starting out years ago. And what I just found was interesting. I was reading this um, last week. The median price of a single-family home today. Is three hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars. You know, I think it'd be. I would think it'd be more than that, but that's the number. Okay. In nineteen seventy, it was twenty-six thousand dollars. <laughs> oh my! Yeah. So it's gone that's a up cheap about. Car. It's yeah, it's gone up about fourteen times in value. Right, it's about the price of a car now. A, of a, a like low-end car. A low car, yeah, yeah low end car. Yeah. So it's gone up about fourteen times in value since nineteen seventy. Right. Hmm. The median household income today. Is sixty-seven thousand dollars in nineteen seventy? It was ninety-eight hundred dollars. So the income has only gone up six times. The home price mm. fourteen times. On the surface, it seems like real estate 
is getting less affordable. Yeah. Right. But if you look more closely, this is where it gets interesting. The average size of a home in 1970 was 1,500 square feet. Okay. Today it's 2,400 square feet. And it has central air conditioning and internet and energy efficient appliances, a great refrigerator, dishwasher, right? Nice stove, two, three bathrooms, three or four bedrooms. In fact, I read this was an amazing stat that the average American slightly above the poverty level in America lives in more square footage than the average European. Oh, yes. My wife's always going over to Europe for work. And yeah, the places are tiny. Yeah. Not the average European in poverty, the average European. Average European. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So what I tell young people is that your home is really, it's not an investment per se, right? The value is really in the memories you'll make over the years, your kids' first steps, your daughter's first steps in the backyard, kids on the swing, uh, the Christmas tree in the living room, Thanksgiving Thanksgiving. dinners in the kitchen, that sort of thing. I mean, you get a tax benefit on the property taxes and the interest payments, but you shouldn't buy a home that you really can't afford because you think it'll be a great investment. So Most of this type of advice really is for our kids and even my clients' grandkids. We've been the benefactors of this big price run-up, right, over the past uh, several years. The young people need to get the benefit of our wisdom and of our life experience. But I tell them, you know, buy what you can afford, but no more. Plan on living there at least five years and really don't plan on rapid value increase. No, it's great information. And yeah, it's definitely easy to lose sight of that. I think I read something not too long ago that said if you have just $10 in your pocket, uh, that you're, you know, technically you're wealthier than one, you know, a lot of people in the glo- globally. You're in the top 10%, I think, globally as far as wealth goes, which is an amazing stat. So we, we definitely take things out of context here in America sometimes because a lot of what we have is still way more than other people have. So at this Thanksgiving, kind of keep that in mind. Be thankful for the right things. But let's keep going with our conversation, Don. How should all this inflation talk affect the way people are planning for retirement with their investing? Clearly, it's, you know, it's crypto this and gold that and hot stock this. Yeah, I mean, it can be overwhelming, right? Mm -hmm. But it it gets back to the basics of diversification. In the past 10 years, the big name uh, stocks, just looking at stocks, have done fantastically well. The so-called FANG stocks, right? Like Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. Um, I guess we should call them the MANG stocks now since Facebook is changing its name to Meta. Oh, God, are they doing that for sure? Yeah. Oh, geez. <laughs> Strange. I don't get it. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, it takes forever to create a brand, and now they're just going to throw it in the toilet and call the whole thing meta. Okay. So, anyway, <laughs> don't understand, but you think that these people are smarter than yeah, we are. They got a lot of money. Do what you want. So, these are the so called growth stocks that right. have been the, you know, the beneficiaries of a low inflation, low interest rate environment over the past 10 plus years. But now we have a shift underway where historically what they call value companies have done better in an inflationary environment than growth stocks. I mean, people look at value versus versus growth. I mean, growth would be a company like Tesla, right, that sells for 17, 1800 times its earnings. And a value company would be like a Toyota which sells for 16 times its earnings. Yet many people are real heavily still invested in these large brand name growth companies. And it reminds me a lot of what happened in the year 2000. And, and for years, the large growth companies shot up in value 
And then in the year 2000 and 2001 and two, they dropped by like 40% over three years. And in fact, the entire decade of the year 2000 to 2010, the stock market return for the Dow Jones and the S&P 500, these large growth companies, was about zero for 10 years. They called it the lost decade. Yep. Uh, people bought high in 1999 and just got burned. No, definitely. You know, as uh, as grandmama said, don't put all your eggs in one basket, right? So it's always good to uh, get back to doing that and being sure to diversify. And unfortunately, that is easier said than done. So and that's, again, why you want to work with a, a qualified professional who can help you get to and through some of these things, because there's a lot of stuff out there when it comes to getting ready for retirement. And Don is a CPA and a CFP here on Your Money and Your Life. And so let's transition, Don, and do an email question, do the cash connection here. If you'd like to drop an email, go by the website, donaldcash.com. That's donaldcash.com. And let's see what we've got uh, from Mary in Oldbridge. And she says, Don, we've never lived on a budget our entire lives. And my husband is very resistant to having a budget once we retire. But without one, how do we know we're not going to run out of money, let's say 10 years before we pass on? Yeah. You know, Mary, you're not alone in this one. Uh, personally, I hate the word yeah. budget. I'm not Spending sure plan. Yes, yeah. Budget, it's, you know, it seems like we've worked so hard our entire lives. The word sounds so restrictive. Exactly. Right? Love, I love spending plan, hate budget. So let's call it spending plan. <laughs> okay, got it. Whatever you call it, it really is fundamental to making sure that you don't run out of money, as Mary asked, right? Particularly if, you know, we do have outsized inflation. Often in the first five years of retirement, people spend a great deal more money than they think they will on things like travel, entertainment, even home improvement, sometimes second homes with pent-up demand, with more time freedom. And also, here's another point people overlook. Your health is as likely as good as it will ever be early in retirement. So people just take advantage of it then as they should. However, the spending plan is critical. And I would suggest making a list of what I would call special expenses like travel, big gifts, home improvements, versus ongoing basic expenses like housing, utilities, food, entertainment. Those are the expenses that we need to be sure that we inflate over time. Because once we hit our 80s and maybe older, you're not taking as many trips, you're not spending as much money on entertainment or uh, on home improvements and things like that. So we have software that we run to estimate the risk of running out of money in retirement. The big risk is often controllable, Mark. It's the risk of making bad decisions, emotionally driven decisions, mm -hmm. uh, basically buying high and selling low out of fear. I mean, just think of someone who retired in March of last year when COVID hit, you know, the market dropped by 30 or 40%. And if they sold their portfolio and bought CDs, uh, at that point, or bonds that they're very low, you know, now they're really sunk. Exactly. And that's why you need professional planning. I mean, if you retired in 2007, you had a real problem, right? But if you retired in 2010, things were looking pretty good because of the market, right? So what happened to in those time periods? Same thing with your analogy with uh, March of last year. So get some professional help. Make sure you're reaching out to a qualified professional like Don. Again, he is a CFP and a CPA at Donald W. Cash and Associates. And as always, we appreciate your time on the podcast 
podcast. You can reach out to him, have a strategy session, a 15-minute conversation about your situation, making sure you're getting to and through it with Don at 800-664-1183. There's no cost or obligation, but you got to reach out. 800-664-1183 or stop by the website, donaldcash.com. That's donaldcash.com. Thanks for hanging out with us as always on Your Money and Your Life. Don, always appreciate your time and and have a happy holiday. Happy Thanksgiving to you, Mark, and everyone out there listening. Absolutely. And we'll see you back here in just a couple of weeks on Your Money and Your Life. Don't forget to subscribe to us on all the major platforms, and we'll see you next time here on the podcast. Investment advisory services offered through Donald W. Cash & Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor in the state of New Jersey.